Praise God. Good to see everybody in church this morning. It's August. It's a new month, all right? And um, it's a blessing that we got a beautiful day, and it's always wonderful to be gathered together. In fact, we're going to be looking at chapter 6 of Matthew today, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, but in the Sermon on the Mount, we are reminded, remember, that God, uh, Jesus, tells his disciples that we're salt and light. We're the salt of the earth. What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? It means that we are at all times being used by God to preserve and not decay the world around us. Amen? Amen? Uh, I know, I know some, some believers who like to point out all the things wrong with the world. Oh, this is bad and that is bad and I can't believe this is happening and can you believe about this and oh my goodness, everything's happening here. And my question back is, out of all the things you've listed, how are you making a difference to make those things better? And if the answer is no, then stop complaining. I don't know about you, but I don't mind somebody who, who can complain as long as they're willing to expend the same amount of energy complaining trying to find a solution. Amen? So if you don't like the way, the way that I've been taught is if you don't like the way something is, either do something about it, right, or make sure something gets done. Right? Is that all right? That's just like basic, you know, maturity and responsibility is if you see something, right, if you see something that doesn't look right, right, it's our responsibility to do something about it, right? I'll give you an example. I was talking to somebody the other day at my, at my job, and, um, and we were talking about responsibilities, but we were talking about leadership. And I believe following Jesus has a lot to do with leadership. And so while we were talking, looking on campus, I was referring to the fact that there were, uh, you know, that since we've been off campus for a year and a half, there are a lot of things that need to be addressed, right? There's you know, tree branches falling over, there's trash that's piled up in a certain corner, right? And it's not my job description to fix all of the things that are wrong, but if I'm a leader on the campus and I walk by and see something that's wrong and I don't make sure that the director of facilities management doesn't know about that, I've just missed an opportunity to be a leader. Does that make sense? I don't need to get out my wrench and start doing it because I might make it worse than it was in the first place. But I do need to do something about it and make sure, hey, Right. I'll go up to him and, and his name is Henry. And I'll say, hey, Henry, man, let me uh, let, let me give you a couple things that I saw while I was walking around on campus. And then Henry will say, hey, thank you so much for being a leader. What does that mean? That means that if we see something that isn't the way it should be done, don't complain about it and don't talk about somebody behind their back. Let's go and do something about it. Is that all right? So um, so here we are in Matthew chapter six. We've covered chapter 5 over the last few weeks, and today we're going to cover verses 1 through, uh, we're going to cover verses 1 through, give me one second, 18, 1 through 18 of chapter 6, Matthew, and we're going to continue in this teaching. You'll notice here, if you have your Bibles opened up, whether you have a hard copy Bible or, or maybe even you have an app on your phone or whatever it may be that you're using to follow along with our uh, sermon this morning, then you'll notice that the, the letters in Matthew chapter 6 are all one color. Can anybody tell me the, the color of the letters in Matthew 6? Red, right? So what does red uh, letters mean when we look at the New Testament? That means Jesus is talking, right? I don't want to assume that everybody knows that, um, so I want to just pause for a second to recognize that when we see letters in red in the New Testament especially, what it's indicating is that these are the direct words of Christ. These are the direct words of Christ. So you can imagine Jesus speaking these words. Now, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you'll remember that 
the other context that's important for us to keep in mind is that all of this teaching is coming from uh, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, or this moment when Jesus took his disciples away from the crowds to instruct them deeper and further. Somebody say, deeper and further. So he takes the disciples away from the crowds. They go up a hill. They're overlooking the Sea of Galilee, right? And, and in that space, he begins to teach them. And I don't know about you, but I'm enjoying going through the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's essentials, right? The essentials of the teachings of Christ. Uh, we, we taught last week that Jesus did not come to abolish or get rid of the law, right, the Ten Commandments. He didn't come to get rid of what Moses taught. He didn't come to get rid of what the prophets had to say. But he came to bring a fresh vision as to what they mean when we truly follow the Spirit of God as he's guiding us in our lives. So Jesus begins to open up truths and teaching so that we can uh, be more faithful and more aligned with God's uh, will and plan for our lives. So Matthew chapter 6, we'll go ahead and open there. I'll begin reading, and, and you'll notice that there are, if you have your, your Bible open or you scroll on your phone, you'll notice that in the sections that I've listed from verses 1 through 18, that there are three different sections that we will uh, study this morning, three different sections. And essentially, one is a section on giving, another is a section on prayer, and another is a section on fasting. So somebody say giving, somebody say prayer, and somebody say fasting. Okay, give, pray, and fast. And really briefly before we study those, these are essential practices that Jesus is teaching his disciples. And what he's telling them is it's important to give. It's important to give. It's important to be generous, okay? It's important to have a generous spirit. It's important to not be a hoarder or stingy or selfish. It's important for us to say, Lord, whatever resources I have, I want them to be used for your glory, right? The second section is prayer, and Jesus begins to teach the disciples about prayer. And the third section is on fasting. What is fasting? Fasting is going for a period of time without eating, right? And sometimes I know in our modern times, we often challenge ourselves to include other items in fasting, such as fasting from technology or fasting from, you know, different kinds of things that might, might be distractions to us as we try to pursue God and pursue a relationship with God. Um, so the interesting thing about these three sections, giving, prayer, and fasting, is that Jesus is providing some instruction as to how we can give, pray, and fast. So let's go ahead and look to the Word of God together. And we'll see what Jesus is saying about these three topics. So he says in verse 1 of chapter 6, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do... You will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So this first section of, that Jesus is teaching us on uh, in terms of giving to the needy is 
essentially teaching us that giving does not need to be a show. Giving does not need to be something that we hope others recognize so that we could be acknowledged and recognized by others. Jesus is teaching us that the best kind of giving is the kind of giving that flows out of our heart. In fact, what I would say is, as Jesus is teaching us this kind of giving, it's essentially teaching us let giving become second nature in our lives. Where it doesn't even need to be extremely calculated, but it just becomes something that we do. Right? Because how many of us know when something becomes second nature, you don't even think about it? Right? Many of us drive cars, and we've driven for a long time, and most of the things that you do when you operate a vehicle, you're not even having to think about because you've done it for so long. It's almost second nature. It's almost like breathing, right? It's almost like walking. How many of you have to think about walking when you get up and walk? When you were, you know, this guy's age, my dad raises his hand, Pop. When my son, Micaiah, and others who are two years old, you know, getting up, starting to look, man, these kids, they got to work hard to figure out, okay, I got to put the left foot forward, all right, and then, then the right foot got to follow. Oh, that was a little too quick. All right, let me catch my, right? There, there's a time when we had to think about what that was like. But at this point, we don't think about it. It becomes automatic. And essentially, as we look at what Jesus is teaching about giving in Matthew chapter 6, is he's saying, let it be something that becomes, that overflows from your being so that you just become generous. Right? That you're looking around, you notice that there's a need, you notice that you have the ability to supply a need, just like we did last week when we took up a special offering, right? We noticed that our, our friends in Florida are going through a difficult time, and some of them have nothing, and everything that they have came crumbling down. And so we wanted to come together to send them a blessing. That just makes sense. Does that make sense? Um, can, I, can I mix in a little bit of practical advice that is, in, is biblical because it's in Proverbs, but it's not in the passage that we're looking at today. When it comes to giving, I encourage you as the church to consider this principle because sometimes people are like, well, pastor, I don't know exactly how to do that because, man, you know, I've given to people in the past and then it's just created a strained relationship because of what I've done, right? And, and oftentimes the issue is because we've let somebody borrow what we have. And we've said, okay, well, they're going through a tough time, and they ask me, they need to cover rent, and they want $500. And I look at my savings account, and I have $500, and you want to give them. But, but I don't know about you, but I've been in a place where I've, ha I've helped somebody before, and, uh, and then I don't get that, that $500 back. And then, and then it starts to make, do something in your heart every time you see them. And then they, they, every time they see you, they, they walk away. Right, And they're like, oh, man, I can't, I can't go over there. I can't show up. I feel bad because I didn't pay them back, right? Yeah. Because oftentimes borrowing can create a lot of issues and challenges, right? So here's the rule that I operate from, and you could choose to operate, it, uh, operate from it if you, so, if you so choose and if it fits you. But if somebody asks me and they need something, I, I talk to Drea, right, because whenever we make financial decisions, we always talk about it together. And we talk about it and we pray about it. And if God puts something on our heart, then we, we oftentimes decide rather than loaning it, we are going to give a gift. And when you give a gift, you're not expecting it in return. Right? I might not give the whole gift. Somebody asked me for $1,000. I might go back, talk to my wife and say, you know what? We can afford 100 to give and not to expect back. Right? And that's what we'll do. And we have peace with it. Right? And if we don't get a cent back from it, guess what? No harm done. Our relationships are intact because we gave a gift. 
So I want to encourage you that as you consider being generous, consider thinking about what it is that you might be able to give without an expectation of return to preserve relationships. Is that okay? So I know that's going a little bit outside of, but it's still talking about generosity, which is what Jesus is teaching. So Jesus says, do it. Be generous. Okay? Give. He says, but don't make a big show about it. Because if you do, he says, if you do, well, let, let, me, let me start with the positive. If you don't make a big show about it when you choose to be generous and give. And how many of us know generosity can come in so many different forms? It doesn't only need to be mo- monetary. Right? Generosity could be time. I've said this before. I'll say it again. The most valuable thing that you have is your time. Why? Because our time is limited on earth. We don't know how many breaths we have left, how many days on the calendar we get to enjoy this earth that God's given us. It could be tomorrow. It could be a year. It could be 10 years. It could be 50 years. We don't know. It's not promised to us, right? And so whenever we give of our time, guess what? That's a valuable gift. So don't underestimate the, the value of your time, okay, your energy, your focus, your attention, your resources. So generosity can come in many different forms, right? Um, and so, so essentially what Jesus is saying is when we give the right way, when we give with the right heart, when we give because we are mimicking the character of God. How many of us know God is a giving God? He didn't have to create all this, but he decided to. Why? Because his nature is to give. He didn't have to send us Jesus to die on the cross, forgive us of our sin, and make our relationship with the Father right again. He didn't have to do that. Why did he do that? Because he's a generous God. So we serve a generous God and essentially saying, because I'm generous, you also ought to mimic his generosity. I also ought to mimic his generosity. And so we give because God gives, right? And he says, if you do it the right way, which is with the right heart, with the right intentions, not hoping that, you know, the daily breeze catches you in the action so that you could be on the front page, you know, with your face handing over this, you know, this major sacrifice of a gift that you've given to somebody, right? It's not so that we get caught on Facebook or Instagram doing this good deed that we were trying to do. It's it's that when we do that, guess who sees you when you give to the person who needs it? The Heavenly Father. And that's enough audience if you ask me. Right? That's enough audience if you ask me. And when the Heavenly Father sees us, it, it says here in Matthew 6, right, that there is a reward for those who give in secret. But he says the flip side is also true. The, the reward that God would have given to you, he removes when you do it so that you could get credit and you could get recognition by others. Jesus says, if you do that, you already got your reward, so I'm going to go ahead and keep the one back that I was about to give to you. I don't know about you, but I would rather uh, let go of the reward that others were going to give me to receive the reward that God wants to give me. Because the reward that God gives us comes in so many different forms and denominations such as joy, peace, right, protection, uh, righteousness, right? When, When the Heavenly Father rewards us, Man, I don't want to trade that reward for anything, right? So you could keep the recognition. You could keep the bells, and and you can keep the trumpets. I would rather my Heavenly Father reward me for being generous just as he is generous. Amen? All right, let's move on to the next section. This is a good one. So then Jesus continues on this, this teaching, and he says, And when you pray, somebody say pray. Let's try that one more time. Somebody say pray. Pray. 
There we go. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Let me pause right there in this section. So it's a similar kind of teaching. The first section he's saying, don't give in such a way that you're trying to get attention. And then he continues and says, and also don't pray in such a way that you're trying to get attention. Right? I've heard some people say, Pastor, I just don't really like praying in public, you know, because I just, I don't really know the right words to say. Guess what? Those are the best kinds of prayers. Right? Those are the best kinds of prayers. Let me give you an example, okay? When I call, when I call Drea on the phone and we have a conversation, I don't have a script of the, how that conversation ought to go. That would be dumb. Hi, Drea, how are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. How can I help you today? This is what I really need. What kind of conversation is that? But that's how we pray. Right? Dear, heavenly, mighty, distant, transcendent, glorious father. Like, and God's like, get to the point. I'm listening. I know who I am. You don't got to tell me who I am. Like, just say, just say what you're going to say. What's making you happy? What's making you sad? How can I be father to you today? What do you want me to hear about? Amen. Now go love your family. Stop wasting your time trying to come up with words you don't even use in regular speech. Right? People start praying and all of a sudden they pray in King James when they talk in 21st century English, American English. Thou father. The father's like, you don't even know what thou means. Right? Is that, is that all right? Isn't that what Jesus is teaching here? Jesus is saying, don't try to come up with all these extra words. That's not what it's about. Because if you're doing it for that purpose, guess what? You already got your reward. But if you just talk to me like you talk to your closest friend, if you just talk to me like you talk to your husband or your wife, if you just talk to me like you talk to your, your sons or your daughters or your father or your mother, then we could get a lot more done a lot quicker because you're not trying to be somebody. You're not just to please me when all I want is a relationship with you. Right? Is that all right? I don't know about you because I think about my children, right? And the one thing that I want to cultivate, and I know it takes work as a father, right, to cultivate is that we can have open communication, right? But if my kids got to think for like an hour as to how they need to use the right words so that their dad could hear them, right, I am causing them to waste their time when in reality I'm like, come on, son, just talk to me. I can tell something's going on in your heart. What do you want to say, right? I can see it in your eyes that you want to say something to me. What, it is that, what is it that you want to say, right? I could tell that there's, you're, you're excited about something. Tell me what you're excited about, right? And, and, and if I could pay attention to that, then it reminds us that our Heavenly Father, right, also wants seamless, 
frequent, regular communication with him. So let's not get caught up in the pretense of trying to figure out how to use the right formula to connect with God. When in reality, God's like, I'm your father. You don't got to use a formula to talk to me. Let's just talk. Right? Amen? And some people, but man, I'm, I'm mad at God right now because of what I'm going through in my life. I don't even know how to talk to him. Well, guess what? He wants to hear you on that day as well. I had a friend tell me recently that, it, that, that the Lord gave him a revelation because he was feeling all kinds of thoughts and not too sure how to express them. And he just started just writing things down and sharing with God what was on his, his heart. And he told me that he heard God say, say to him, I'm just glad that we're talking again. And I said, Amen. Amen. So Jesus is essentially saying here, you don't have to feel like you got the right formula or know the right words to say when you pray. He goes, because praying isn't for nobody else but between you and God. So he says, go, don't, get off the street corner. He says, get, get out of the, the synagogue. Let's go into our, our room, close the door, and we'll pray right there. And when we pray in that way, he says, your heavenly father hears you, your heavenly father sees you, and will reward you. Right? Okay, so let's see what he continues to say. Uh, and, and, of course, this is a landmark teaching um, in chapter 6, verse 8 and following. It says, do not be like them, for your father already knows what you need before you ask him. Let me say that one more time. Right? Do not be like them, for your father already knows what you need before you ask him. All right. Verse 9. This then is how you should pray. So he starts out by saying how not to pray. Now he's going to teach them how to pray. Is that all right? How not to pray. Now he's going to teach them how to pray. Verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father. Everybody say it with me. Our Father. You might have a different version of your Bible. Go ahead and read it in your version. Who art in heaven, or I say in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then there's an alternative ending in, in some versions that say, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So Jesus in, ver in chapter 6 is teaching them how to pray. Can't you notice something about this prayer? How long did it just take us to pray that prayer right now? Right? And I'm not saying you don't need to pray for a long time because you, you and I both know that we need to pray for a long time because God's at work in us, right? But we don't need to uh, uh, extend our words adding 17 adjectives to something just so that we can have a longer prayer so that somebody else could think that we're holy. Right? Jesus is like, get to the point. What's the point? Um, let's talk about the point. First of all, our Father, what does that mean? Our, the first word is our. Our is different than my. Our su uh, suggests that we belong to a, a family. Therefore, our already teaches me something that I'm not on this journey alone, but that I belong to something bigger, which is the church, part of the family of God. Right? So it's not my, but it's our. Okay, and then he says, Father. Jesus uses the word Father. Father is not often used in the Old Testament to describe God. 
Uh, a lot of other words are used in the Old Testament. In fact, there are often words used in the Old Testament to distance God from names. Uh, you couldn't say the name of God, still can't say the name of God uh, in, in the Old Testament. Um, but Jesus immediately says, our Father, and the first thing that he uses is a familial term, which means he is near, right? He is close to us. So he says, our Father, and he's teaching us that we're part of a family and that we belong to God no matter what our story is, where we come from. All of us, every single one of us, are a child of God. That's powerful. We only got the two words so far, our and Father, right? Uh, so you have a Father. Turn to somebody around you and tell them you have a Father. And there is nobody like Father God, right, who's loving, compassionate, provider, okay? So Jesus says, our Father, and then he says, in heaven, right, to differentiate between the fact that we serve a God whose ways are higher than our ways, right? So he's not an earthly father, but he's a heavenly father, right? He, he's an eternal father, not a, not a temporary father, okay? Um, so he's our Father who art in heaven, and then it says, Hallowed be your name. What does hallowed mean? It just means holy. His name is holy. What does holy mean? It means set apart, right? It means pure, okay? It means righteous. Hallowed be your name. Essentially what we're saying there is there's no other name than the name of Jesus. There's no other name than the name of our God who is holy, okay? And then he says, your kingdom come. What does that mean? It means that there is a kingdom and there is a king, and it's not me or you. It's not the President of the United States. It's not the United Nations. The, the, the King is Jesus, right? The King is our Father. And so Jesus says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is, is there's a kingdom that, that, that God is bringing to infuse a different way of being. We are citizens of heaven, not just citizens of the United States or wherever it is that we may have our citizenship. But we are citizens of heaven. So God is establishing his kingdom. And Jesus' prayer is, may your kingdom come. Notice that before Jesus is teaching his disciples to start asking for all the needs that they have, right? Man, I, I, I'm, I'm short on my finances. Or, man, Lord, you know, this, this is going on with me or this is going on with me. Before he even gets into asking, Jesus' prayer is saying, Lord, make things the way you want them to be. Isn't that a prayer? Oftentimes, our prayer is the other way around. It's like, Lord, make things the way I want them to be. And by the way, if there happens to be alignment with your kingdom, okay, that's great. Jesus says, your kingdom come. Meaning, however it is that you need things to be in my life, Lord, have your way. However it is that you want to do something in this city, have your way. Your kingdom come. Right? Lord, before I even submit to you my list of requests, if those requests are not in alignment with your kingdom, let your kingdom take priority and precedence over the things that I think that I need or want. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, and then he says, and your will be done. Somebody say, your will. Your will be done. And then he says, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Right? So what's, he, what's Jesus saying there? He's saying, basic needs. What is it that we need? Right? Let's ask the Father. Let's not get caught up spend, spending our wills asking for all the things that we think we need, when in reality, if God gave us those things, it would cause us to grow further and more separate from him because we would get attached to those things as opposed to the one who supplied those things. 
We would start worshiping the created instead of worshiping the creator. So Jesus says, just, just ask for, you know, a Whopper or a burrito, right? Or, or like what, what, what the youngsters like to eat today, avocado toast. I can't believe avocado toast is good, but they, you go to a restaurant, they'll charge you $9.59 for avocado toast. I'm like, you put an eighth of an avocado on a piece of bread, smushed it with a, the backside of a spoon, put it on a plate for me, and charged me $9.59. Better keep that avocado toast. I mean, if you're going to give me avocado toast, throw some cheese and an egg and bacon on it. And then I'll pay you $9.59. <laughs> Come on, it's bread. Right? Anyway, I don't know why you all get me off track all the time. Okay, what well, we weren't talking about avocado toast. We were talking about give us today our daily bread. Right? Amen? And he says, and forgive us our debts. Right? Forgive us our, our sins. Forgive us of what we've done wrong to you and to others, right, is our prayer. But watch what Jesus says. This is one of those lines that you wish you had your Sharpie so that you could cross it out of the Bible. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forget, forgiven our debtors. Right? Forgive us our, our sins as we also forgive those who have sinned against us. Some of us forget about that second line, huh, conveniently. We're just like, Lord, please forgive me of my sin. And then you can hear Jesus saying back to you, if, if, if you do what? What do you mean if what? And, and you're like, okay, yeah, if I forgive those who have sinned against me. Okay. So Jesus, he, 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 he brings us to that point. How many of us know it's hard to do that, right? It's hard to do that. But again, what we've been talking about in Matthew 6 is mimicking the character of God. If he's generous, then we give, right? In prayer, it means that we are in communication with God, and if we're asking to be forgiven, that means we need to be prepared to also forgive those who have sinned against us. Verse 13 says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, and that's the end of the prayer in my version of the Bible. That is a short prayer. So why does Jesus teach his disciples to pray in this way? Because he's hitting on the essentials, right? First and foremost, recognize God. First and foremost, recognize that his ways are bigger than our ways. First and foremost, recognize that his kingdom needs to come and his will needs to be done. Then, after that, Lord, can I just have something to eat today? And also, forgive me for the things that I messed up on. And teach me how to do that for others. And finally, keep me away from all the stuff that I know is bad for me and is going to draw me away from you. Amen. And the disciples thought he was going to keep, you know, going for like another hour. And he was like, okay, let's talk about something else. They're like, wait a second, that's all? And Jesus is like, that's all. Now, of course, we all know there's different ways to pray, right? There's different ways to pray. There's different reasons why we pray. Sometimes we have a need and we pray. Why do we do that? Because the Bible instructs us that when we have needs, we bring them before God. So it's okay to pray about our needs. But I believe sometimes in our own faith, we get so caught up on the things that we want or need that we forget to glorify and worship God, which is another fantastic way to pray. Let me, let me throw in one more thing about prayer. When I say the word pray, oftentimes the image that we get is us 
either in a group of people or by ourselves or around a dinner table. And it oftentimes represents us talking to God. I don't know about you, but the more important conversation partner in that prayer is God. And so if we only envision prayer as what we say to God, and we don't also create space for God to say something back to us, then we are, we are like leaving a voicemail for God. Dear Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Click. And then God was like, but, but, uh. Right? He's trying to get a word in, but he, he got no space to get a word in because we were too busy telling God all the things he needs to hear us say. Everybody tracking with me as to how when we think about prayer, I think it would be important for us that, yes, let's pray, but let's make sure we create room and space for God to speak back to us. I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes the way that, that's, that, that helps me out, because I can get a little distracted in prayer sometimes, is to have a journal available. And when I have a journal available, it allows me to write something down that I believe that I hear God speaking to me. So that I'm not just saying to God what I want him to say, but I could also write down what it is that God is speaking to me. Amen? So this is just, uh, again, one of those instructions where Jesus is saying, this is how you see people pray. Don't pray like that. Pray uh, concisely. Pray directly. Okay? Pray secretly, uh, Jesus is saying, and you will receive your reward. Um, verse 14 and following. Let's just wrap up this section, and then we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time on the last section on fasting. It says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Okay? Again, one of those sections of Scripture that we're like, wait, it's in there? It says that? Yes, it says that. Okay? So let's look at the last section. The last section is on fasting. Everybody say fasting. So Jesus teaches them, and he says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So did you notice a common thread between all three of these teachings that Jesus is giving to the disciples? The common thread is, stop trying to do your religion so that others can see it. Right? Stop trying to impress others with your spirituality. Stop putting your uh, good deeds or your elaborate prayers or your, your sacrificial practices on display so that others can notice and recognize how holy and pure and righteous you are. Jesus is saying, instead, do all these things, but do them in secret so that God, the one who we're doing them for, can recognize those things and give us the reward that we actually want as opposed to the recognition of man. Right? So the fasting section, Jesus is saying, man, some people, they love, they love to talk about all the things that they're sacrificing for the sake of the kingdom of God. They like to look ragged and run down so that they could demonstrate how much of a, how much of a, a faithful servant of God they are. Oh, man, yeah, it's been a tough day of fasting. Whoo, man, I got tempted like four times driving by that billboard to Carl's Jr. with all that juice dripping down. 
Man, I was like, I just wanted to pull over and supersize it. They don't even use that word anymore, but. And, but I, you know, I decided, you know, I'm fasting today, so I'm not going to do it. I said, no. Looking all tired, right? Hair all messed up, breath stank. You know how it is when you don't eat for a long time? And then you got the nerve to talk right in somebody's face. If you're fasting, church, don't speak right into somebody's face. Talk like talking to the side, okay? Look out for them. Is that all right? Okay, so seriously though. So Jesus is teaching them. He's saying, hey, fasting isn't a show. Uh, he's saying acts of sacrificial uh, devotion unto God, right? Because the purpose of fasting, like, can, I, can I do a brief quick tutorial on fasting for a second? Because some of us are like experts at fasting. Others are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Only time I fasted when they had to draw blood, okay? So the, the purpose of fasting is so that we could remind ourselves that the thing that we need most is the presence of God. Because our body starts grumbling after a certain while, like right now, if you didn't eat breakfast this morning. And every time I reference a breakfast burrito or avocado toast, you, you start salivating like, like the uh, psychological experiment with Pavlov. So anyway... Our body tells us you need food, but we tell our body the thing that we need more than food is the presence of Jesus, right? And so I'm going to go without those things. Um, it's also important for us to recognize that there might be certain hindrances, obstacles, temptations in our lives that may not in and of themselves be sinful, but too much of them could take our eyes off of God and it could turn into idolatry. Things like money can become idolatrous, right? We can make money, uh, an idol out of money. We could, we, could make, uh, uh, we could make technology an idol, right? I know that in our family, we like to create certain periods that we don't do certain things so that our children don't develop an unhealthy reliance on things that could become idols. So we'll say, hey, this whole day, we're not turning on any technology, right? Because today's going to be a technology-free day. Guess what? Those are some of the best days for the kids' mental health because they're not glued to screens all day long. And I'm not trying to, like, reprimand anybody who, you know, don't get us wrong. Our kids use screen time because sometimes it lets us have an undivided conversation with each other. And it's like, praise God, they're watching a TV show. They're zonked out on the tube, and we can have a good conversation, right? And don't, don't get me wrong. We, we utilize that. But we also have to recognize how we can become dependent on certain things, right? And so we have to recognize it's good to take a break from certain things that we could develop unhealthy dependencies on so that we could remember that what we need most isn't all these other things, but it's the presence of God. So the purpose of fasting is to realign our hearts and our minds with the will and kingdom and purpose of God. When it's so easy for us in the world that we live in to get enmeshed into all the different values that society tells us is good and important for us. So we need to separate ourselves. Jesus would often do that by actually leaving town and going to pray. Moses would leave town and go and pray. Why would they go into the wilderness? Because they needed to remove themselves from the distractions of city life. So that they could remind themselves that they belong to God and not to all the things that the billboards and the commercials and the ads say is important for us to pursue if we want to find true happiness in our life. So fasting is one of those exercises that really does teach us, I don't need that as much as I thought I needed it. I'm not as reliant on that thing as, as much as I thought I was relying upon that thing. In fact, I rely on God. I rely on the presence of God. 
I rely on the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I rely on his direction, his provision, right? And it reminds us in those moments that we can't lean on these other things that ultimately aren't foundational in our lives. So Jesus teaches, it says, hey, please do fast. But when you fast, don't fast as a show, right? Don't fast as a show. Fast in such a way that you are connecting with God. He says, and your heavenly father who is unseen will will see what is done in secret and will reward you. Okay, so the three things, the first thing Jesus teaches them is give. Somebody say give. Give. Right, say it one more time, give. Okay, and remember, the way that we want to give, there's another scripture that says give with a cheerful heart. We want to give that way, but we also want to give in such a way that is we are looking for only a reward from our Heavenly Father and not from anybody else. Is that all right? Then Jesus teaches about prayer. Somebody say pray. Pray. Okay, and he teaches us here. Don't worry about if you don't have all the right words to say or you don't have an hour-long prayer. In fact, if you got an hour-long prayer, you probably prayed like 58 minutes too long if we're not getting to the basics and praying the right way. Is that all right? So when Jesus teaches us to pray the right way, okay, and the last thing he teaches us is to seek. Somebody say seek. To seek the presence of God through fasting, right, through devoting ourselves unto God, to separating ourselves from the things that we think are needs so that we could be reminded what our needs really are, which is to be guided by the very presence of God. Amen? Praise God. 